You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Revelation chapter 2, we're in our series and we've started these letters to the churches. We saw the church at Ephesus and then we saw last week, we saw the church at Smyrna. And tonight I want you to look at verse 12. We're going to look at the church at Pergamos, beginning in verse 12 of Revelation 2. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, literally referring to Satan's throne. Very interesting. And thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. There's another reference to Satan, where Satan dwelleth in Satan's seat. Verse number 14 But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And here are the two things that Balaam instructed Balak to do with the children of Israel concerning the Moabites and the Midianites. It's found back in Numbers. We'll look at that in a moment. But here are the two things. He cast a stumbling block for them to eat things that were sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Verse 15, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. We talked about that last week or the week before, also found in chapter 2. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate, God says, Verse 16, repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, suddenly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. There's that reference to the sword again. Verse 17, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Lord, I pray you'd speak to our hearts in these few moments. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I believe you have something for us tonight. I don't believe it's an accident we're here. I don't believe it's an accident that we're in this passage. I believe it's for a purpose. And I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would work on us, examine us. I pray that you would prick us. I pray that you'd uh, prod us. I pray you'd point out areas in our lives that need to be changed And I pray we'd leave here uh, with a heart that is right with you. And I pray we'd leave with a heart that is more in love with you than we've ever been before. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, if you're taking notes in this section, in this letter to the church at Pergamos, I want you to write, uh, jot down number one, we see the saved. The saved, the angel of the church in Pergamos. Now, I want to clarify this. Did you know that not everybody that goes to church is saved? 
You say, oh, pastor, you must be talking about some other church or some other place. No, no, I'm talking about every church. I believe every church on a given Sunday or Wednesday or whatever day, I believe, unfortunately, I believe there are people that come to church that are not even saved. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, Jesus said in Matthew 7, he said, there will be many in that day that will say, Lord, did not we prophesy in thy name? You know what that means? There will be some preachers. Did not we prophesy in thy name? And did we not do many mighty works in thy name? Did not we teach Sunday school classes? Did not we run bus routes? Did not we serve? Did not we give a lot of money? Did not we uh, uh, show up and be faithful to church and do all those things? You say, Pastor, are you trying to scare us? I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I am trying to tell you that just because a person comes to church, that doesn't mean they're saved. Salvation is not by coming to church. Salvation is something that takes place on the inside, not something you do on the outside. And there'll be many in that day, Jesus says, and he'll say unto them, depart from me, I never knew you. Can I tell you this? Just because a person comes to church does not mean that they're saved. But if you're saved, I want to say this, you ought to be a part of a church. And God's church, the church as defined in scripture, is a called out assembly of believers. And so when God's talking to the church, he's talking to those who have been saved those who have been born again, those who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And as a Christian, as a child of God, we ought to belong to a church. Say, well, pastor, I'm here tonight and I know that, but maybe there's some listening and you say, well, I belong to a church. My name's on a roll somewhere. I haven't been there in 13 years, but I belong. That's not my idea and I don't believe that's God's idea of belonging to a church. I believe we ought to be involved. I think we ought to be a part of something. Uh, a church is an assembly. That means you gather, you get together with believers. And I believe as a child of God, we should belong to a church. The church is God's plan for his people. The church is not my idea. The church wasn't your idea. The church is God's idea. And he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll say this about the church. I believe Satan trembles at the thought of the church. Now think about this. God promised that he would build it and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. You know what that means? When we come to church and when we do what God's called us to do and we hear the preaching and we get on our knees and we pray and we lift up our voices in song and we give and we send out missionaries and we train young people and we, we get geared up for outreach and we get geared up for ministry, Satan trembles. Satan's not worried about a lot of things, but I believe Satan trembles at the thought of the church because the church is God's plan to reach this world with the gospel and it's God's plan to be victorious over Satan, the saved. The church here is located in the city of Pergamos. Pergamos was one of the great cities located in Asia Minor. It's interesting that the name Pergamos, that name of this city, that wasn't the church name unless it was, you know, Pergamos Baptist Church or whatever. We don't know what, it, what the name was. But the name Pergamos, it literally means to be married. Isn't that interesting? 
By the way, there's a word in the Old Testament that we sing about that also means to be married. It's the word Beulah. When we sing that song, sweet Beulah land, you know what we're talking about? We're talking about marriage. You say, oh no, is that what heaven's going to be like? Some of you should not be laughing right now. But you know what it is? It's marriage. Because as Christians, we are the bride of Christ. And there's going to be a wedding one of these days. There's going to be a wedding and there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb. And there's going to be a time when the bride of Christ is united with the groom, with Christ. And can I tell you what a wonderful day that will be marriage. Uh, well, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but marriage is God's plan and marriage is a picture of God's relationship, Christ's relationship with the church. That's why marriage is a big deal. That's why Satan's trying so hard to fight against marriage. That's why Satan's trying to fight against your marriage. That's why Satan's trying to tell young people today, you don't need to get married. That's why Satan's trying to tell young people today, uh, it's not a big deal. It, it doesn't really matter. I want to tell you, marriage is a big deal. Amen. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and these two shall be one flesh. That's not what I said. That's what God said. Amen. But we see the saved, the church at Pergamos, these were saved people. This was the bride of Christ that had been assembled, that was gathered there in this city. Notice what it says in verse number 13. I know thy works, Jesus says, and where thou dwellest. I believe as we read through these churches in Revelation 2 and 3, I believe we'll see that all these churches were busy. Jesus says, I know thy works. And I want to remind you, that's the way it ought to be in our churches. We ought to be busy. And I, I understand there's a balance. You need to spend time with Christ. You need to walk with God. But then we need to serve God. And if you are listening tonight in this auditorium or you're listening online and you're a part of a church and you are not busy, God's got a job for you. There is something that you can do to get involved and serve God. And God wants us to be busy. We'll work, we sing about. We'll work till Jesus comes and we ought to work and we ought to be busy. Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. You know, there will come a day when we'll preach our last sermon. There will come a day when we will sing our last song. There'll be a day when you'll teach your last lesson. There'll be a day where you'll run that bus route for the last time. There'll be a day where you'll work in that nursery for the last time. There'll be a day where you'll greet at the door for the last time. And can I tell you, until Jesus comes or until he takes us home, I wanna be busy. I want to serve God while we can. Number one, we see the saved, the church that was called and assembled there at Pergamos. Number two, I want you to notice the sharp sword. It's found in verse 12. It's also found in verse number 16. And the, the sword in the Bible, it often refers to our mouth or to our words. Notice verse number 16. The, end, uh, the verse says, repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Can I tell you, there's a sharp sword, the Bible says. It's sharper than any sword. And we find in Hebrews chapter four that it's the word of God. 
Aren't you glad we have a sword? Aren't you glad we have a weapon for battle? Now, I've not used a sword a whole lot. As a matter of fact, I haven't used, used it much at all except the plastic kind when I was little. And you don't, you don't like those things because when somebody hits you on the knuckles, those things hurt, you know, those little plastic swords when the kids have them. But I, I know this about, about tools. I know this about knives. I know this about saws uh, or axes is the sharper it is, the less exertion is actually necessary. The sharper that it is, the less force you have to put into it. You just let that tool do the work. And I want to remind you that as long as we're using the sword, it's not going to require a whole lot of effort on our part. We just have to use it. We just have to read it. We just have to get in this book. And by the way, this book will do the work. This book is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Did you know that the Bible can pierce into a person's soul? It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I got news for you. There's times I'll say something to somebody and I don't even think they're listening. I, I, I'm not saying I don't think they comprehend. I don't think they're listening. And then I've talked to people and I've tried to help people before and I thought, they may be listening, but they're not getting it. My words are not doing a lot of good. But I wanna tell you, when you use the words of God, that's where the power is. And that's why when you go out soul winning and you share the gospel with somebody, you don't just share your ideas. Well, I think if you did this, I think if you did this, that's where you share the word of God. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We see the sharp sword. I'm glad that God's word is powerful. The church at Pergamos was reminded that as Christ was speaking, he had a sharp sword with two edges. The early church feared the church, the early church feared the, the, the rulers of Rome and they feared, the, uh, they feared the, the, the rule and the dictatorship of Rome and they feared the persecution from that sword. But Jesus said, I've got a sword that's greater than any soldier. I've got a sword that's greater than any ruler. I have a sword that's more powerful than any executioner. I see the sword, the sharp sword. Number three, I want you to notice there, there's reference made to Satan's seat. And the Bible says, I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Pergamus had a temple that had been dedicated to Caesar. That was the place where uh, there was uh, idolatry. That was a place where there was spiritual darkness. And it appears Satan's seat was not in the church, but Satan's seat was in that city where that church was ministering and where that church was worshiping God. And Jesus said, I know where you are. I know where you are dwelling. I know what you're going through. Now, I don't, I don't know what it's like at your workplace, but maybe at your workplace you say, it is awful at my workplace. Uh, maybe the profanity is just constant. Maybe the jokes and maybe the, the language and the uh, people that take God's name in vain. And maybe, it's a, maybe you've got some heathens that you work with and, and they are blatant and they are profane and it's, you think it's bad there. It may be, but I want to tell you this. God knows where you are and God knows what you're going through and God knows what you have to deal with. Can I tell you, uh, just because the world is wicked doesn't mean you have to be wicked. Just because the world's getting worse and worse, that doesn't mean we say, oh, well, I guess if we can't beat them, we join them. 
Oh, no, 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 no. We need to stand strong. We need to stand for what is right more now than ever because the darker the night, the brighter the light. Stand for Christ. The church at Pergamos was reminded to stay faithful right where they were, even though it was a tough spot. God knew what they were going through. I know thy works, Jesus says. Notice number four, I see the slain. The slain, the, the one who was killed, the one who was martyred. The Bible says in verse number 13 that they uh, were where Satan's seat is and they held fast Christ's name. They had not denied the faith. And then it says, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. It's interesting. We don't know a lot about Antipas. He was probably the pastor of the church at Pergamos. And it was probably Antipas that said, I am not going to declare that Caesar is Lord. There's only one Lord and his name is Jesus. And it could be that Antipas was slain to try to cause the rest of the church to fear. We don't know. That's speculation. But we know this. We know that he was killed. We know that he was a martyr for Christ. Here's what we know about Antipas. You ready for this? We know one characteristic of his life. He was faithful. And can I tell you, if you and I, if we live our whole lives, and if that's all that could ever be said of us, that was a faithful man. That was a faithful woman. That was a faithful uh, uh, grandparent. That was a faithful uh, a husband. That was a faithful wife. That was a faithful servant of God. By the way, I think we could say at the end of our life that our life had been successful if we would just be faithful to God. You've heard it said before, but there's a lot of things we cannot do. There's a lot of things we don't have the ability to do, but any one of us can be faithful. There's not a person in here tonight that says, Pastor, I can't be faithful. Oh, yes, you can. You say, well, no, I'm watching online because I can't even get to church. Well, I think God knows that. I think God understands that. But you know what you can do? You can still be faithful every day to walk with God. You can still be faithful every day to pray. You can still be faithful every day to open up the Word of God and to read the Scripture. You can be faithful to encourage. You can be faithful uh, to your, your, your testimony and your witness. You can be faithful no matter where you are. You can be in a jail cell and you can still be faithful. May I say Antipas, he was faithful. Here's the problem. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. He Hebrews chapter 11. In the book of Hebrews and chapter 11, we see the hall of faith chapter, right? And, and, and I'll read this chapter and I'll think, boy, I want to be like those guys. <laughs> I want to be like the guys in the first 35 verses. <laughs> but look at verse number 36. And here's what we miss sometimes. The Bible talks about people that worked miracles and God delivered them and they waxed valiant and fight and all those things and women received their dead, raised to life and uh, others were, ooh, verse 35, tortured. That's not what I want. Verse 36, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. 
of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now, I've had people ask me, I've had people ask me this question. Here's my, my standard answer. People say, uh, what about so-and-so? He's a TV preacher. Is he a good one? And I'll always say this, and this is a true statement. I'll say, I don't know, because on Sundays I'm at church. I'm not at home watching the TV preacher. So I don't know what they're preaching. But my impression is that most TV preachers preach something like this. If you live for God, you're gonna have money in the bank. If you live for God and you send money to our ministry, that cancer is gonna be gone. That sickness, that depression, that's gonna be, that's gonna be long gone. If you are a good Christian, you won't have, and, and I understand I'm very much simplifying it. Can I tell you there's a problem with that? Because that's not what the Bible says. Amen. The Bible says there are some that you can live for God, you can be faithful, and you still can suffer, and you can still be persecuted. Antipas, we don't know exactly what happened, but God said he was faithful and he was a martyr. That means he gave his life not for his own sin, he gave his life for his testimony in Jesus Christ. But can I tell you, he wouldn't compromise. He wouldn't give in, he wouldn't throw in the towel. And may God help us to have that kind of resolve to say no matter what happens, no matter what the obstacles are, no matter who disappoints me, no matter who lets me down, no matter how upset somebody makes me and uh, how much I want to lash out, I'm going to stay faithful to God. I'm in this thing not for people. I'm in this thing for Christ. And I want to be faithful to him. We see the slain, number five, quickly as we're looking at this church, the church at Pergamos, I see, I see there's a stumbling block. And this is where the church is rebuked. Verse number 14, Jesus says, I have a few things against thee because thou hast there in the church them that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things offered unto idols and to commit fornication. Hold your place there in Revelation chapter 2 please, and turn with me to Numbers 25. You remember this story of Balaam? Uh, by the way, what's Balaam, what's he famous for? What do we often think of when we think of Balaam? The talking donkey, right? As Balaam is on his way to go meet up with Balak, that donkey refused to go further, and the donkey saw there was an angel with a flaming sword in the way, and the donkey saved Balaam's life. And, uh, you know, sometimes God has to use some different methods to get our attention. Sometimes it's a burning bush and sometimes it's a talking donkey, right? But I hope we listen and I hope we don't miss what God has for us. But here's what happened. Balaam was summoned to curse the nation of Israel. Balak was the king of um, Midian and the, the princes of Midian and the princes of the Moabites, they had, uh, had put their money together. They said, we've got to stop the Israelites. They're advancing and they're going to conquer us next. And so they said to Balaam, they said, we'll pay you. If you'll come and you will curse Israel, we will pay you. We'll make you a great name. And 
And Balaam, at first, he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I can't speak anything except for what the Lord says. And then he ended up going. And the Bible says that God took what was supposed to be a curse and he turned it into a blessing. And so you read that account and you almost think, well, maybe Balaam, maybe he did what was right. Maybe he did what was okay. But we find in the book of Revelation that although Balaam did not curse Israel, he instructed Balak, the king, on how to bring Israel down. And here's what happened. He said, you're not going to conquer them with an army. He said, you're going to have to infiltrate them. You're going to have to win them over. You're going to have to get them to compromise. You're going to have to get them to, to join up with you. He said, you're not going to beat them. But if you can get them to compromise, then here's what, here's what Balaam said. If you get them to compromise and they start worshiping idols, you won't have to destroy them. God will bring judgment on them. And we see in Numbers chapter 25 and verse number 1, this is after the whole story of Balaam and he's going and Balak wanted him to curse Israel and the donkey stops him in the way and says, we're not going any further, all that good stuff. But here's what it says in Numbers 25 verse 1. And Israel abode in Shittim and the people began to commit whoredom. You say, what is whoredom? That is immoral behavior. Uh, that is um, sexual impurity. They began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Verse 2, And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. Now, Revelation says that they uh, were eating the meat that was offered to idols. So here's what happened. The children of Israel said, Hey, let's be nice to the Midianites. Let's be nice to the Moabites. Let, let, let's, let's have fellowship with them. Let's have food with them. Let's have meals together. By the way, who doesn't like having meals, right? That's a good thing. I can get behind that cause, you know. We're, we're eating and it's great. We're having a good time. But, oh, wait a minute. Why don't y'all come on over here for this feast? Because at this feast, we got some really good food. As a matter of fact, this food's so good because this is what the people brought to worship our idols. It talks about in verse number three, and Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. That was a name of one of the gods of the Moabites and the Midianites. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Now go back to Revelation uh, chapter two and notice what Jesus says to the church at Pergamos. He said, you are holding to the doctrine of Balaam. You are literally, you're holding to that and you have allowed yourself to be influenced with idolatry and immorality. And can I say this? That may sound shocking, but that actually sounds like 2022. That sounds like, that sounds like churches today. Churches today and Christians today. We've got so many things that are more important to us than God. It's not even funny. It's scary. 
It's amazing. It's amazing what we will miss church for. It's amazing what we will uh, get away from God for. It's amazing what our priority will be for other than God. There's a lot of stuff that has taken over. And can I say this? Anything that comes between you and God is an idol. You mark it down. You say, well, I don't have a statue. You know, I don't bow three times a day in my living room to the statue on my, my dresser. I, I, you don't have to. An idol is anything that comes between you and God. And can I tell you this? God hates idolatry. Remember, we were talking about marriage. You know what idolatry is referred to as in the Bible? It's referred to spiritual adultery. Because if you're saved, you ought to be and ought to be devoted to God. And we ought to be true to God. And just as if you are a husband or a wife, you don't want your spouse running around with everybody else. And by the way, if you are a spouse running around with everybody else, you got some problems. You need to get right with God. But just like you wouldn't want that in a marriage, God says, I don't want you going and worshiping everything else. I want you to worship me. And they had fallen into idolatry, but then also they had given themselves over to commit fornication. How sad that this was in the church. Can I say this? We live in a society that is immoral everywhere you turn. Uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to watch anything on television. It's hard to read anything. It's hard to even look at a magazine without something that is pushing an immoral agenda. And I want to say this. The world has gotten worse and worse. But God has not changed. And God's standard is still holiness. And God's standard is still purity. That's true in marriage. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honorable in all. And the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. You say, why are you reading that verse? Because that's New Testament for those that like to say, well, Old Testament. You know, we don't live under that anymore. Well, I got news for you. God has not changed. And God still demands that his people be holy. You say, well, pastor, nobody's perfect. So why even bother? Well, I think God knew nobody was perfect. Don't you think he knew that? Yeah, he created us. I think he knew that. But you know what God said? Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. You know what God said? He said, come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. God still says to be separate from the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We see there was a stumbling block. The church had given themselves over to the doctrine of Balaam. But notice also verse number 15. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans which things I hate. It was the church in Ephesus. Notice chapter two, verse number six. The church at Ephesus was guilty of the deeds of the Nicolaitans, but the church at Pergamos was guilty of holding the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You know what happens? Sometimes there's things that you just do it and you do it some more and you do it some more and the next thing you know, you believe it. The next thing you know, you've got yourself fooled. You've got yourself convinced. What was the, what was the, 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 the deeds of the, of the Nicolaitans? It was those people that tried to lord over the people in the church. 
It was like they said, you know, hey, in the Old Testament, you know, there, was the, there were the priests and there were the Levites. And so we're going to kind of do those things. And we're going to kind of come between you and God. And, you know, we're going to kind of tell you what you can do and what you can't do. Boy, I tell you what, I sure don't see that in the Bible. I see the office of the pastor. That's pretty clear, 1 Timothy and Titus. But I don't see the, I don't see the Nicolaitans. I don't see where you have self-appointed people that say, I'm going to lord over this person and I'm better than you and let me tell you what you need to do. Can I tell you this? I'm glad we all have access to God. I'm glad we have access to the throne of grace. We don't need to go to a priest. You don't have to go to a clergy. You and I have access to the throne of God. I see the stumbling block, this church. Boy, they got messed up. Number six, I see the spirit. Again, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. I wonder tonight, what's God speaking to your heart about? You say, well, pastor, it's actually something you, you didn't even say it, but the Holy Spirit's speaking to me. Good. I'm, I'm glad you're listening because the Holy Spirit is still working and the Holy Spirit still speaks. The question is, are we hearing? Are we getting it? Number seven, I see the secret. It says in verse number 17, to him that overcometh, to him that is victorious, will I give to eat of the hidden manna and give him a white stone. And in the stone, a new name written, the, the white stone in the, uh, the times of, of the, the Romans, that white stone was something that was given to somebody to declare them as innocent. They would go through a trial and after they hear the case, they would give them that white stone. And can I tell you, if you've been saved by the grace of God, you've been given a white stone. You know what that means? It means you're not guilty. It means the blood of Jesus paid the price. And not only are you given a white stone, but it's personalized. It's got your name on it. It says it's a new name. Isaiah 62 talks about that God gives us a new name. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know when we get to heaven if we've got, we're going to have different names up there. It's likely. I know we sing the song in the hymn book, there's a new name written down in glory. And it really doesn't matter what your name is down here. What matters is that your name is found up there. And there's a white stone given with a new name. But I want you to look at this last thing. We talked about that's number eight, the stone. But number seven, let's look at the secret. It says in verse 17, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna. Now, think about the manna in the Old Testament. The manna in the Old Testament, last time I checked, it wasn't hidden. It wasn't like an Easter egg hunt where you had to go out and find it, you know. Actually, it was like an Easter egg hunt. It was like where it was all out there. All you had to do was go pick it up, right? Like most Easter egg hunts that you see and that I see. So the manna in the Old Testament, it wasn't hidden. It wasn't hard to find. But yet this says the hidden manna. Well, do you remember when Moses was commanded by God to put together the items for the tabernacle? You remember that? And one of the pieces of furniture that was made was the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant, there was a pot of manna. That was hidden. That was secret. You say, how secret was it? It was in the Holy of Holies where only one person could go once a year, the high priest, nobody else could even go there. That was hidden. Well, can I tell you this? I'm glad that we have access to the hidden manna. You say, how do we have access to the hidden manna? Because we have access to the throne of God. 
We have access to the mercy seat. We have the ability to fellowship with God one-on-one. You don't have to go through a priest. You don't have to go through a man. As a matter of fact, you don't have to set up an appointment. You can just walk on in and spend time with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here's the, here's the, the message here. I see that God promises them the hidden manna. He says in Pergamos, he said, everybody wants to eat the meat offered to idols. Everybody wants to have the feast of all the heathen. But he said, I got something better. If you'll walk with me, he said, I'll let you have the manna. I'll let you have the best I have. I'll let you feast on the manna. And I promise you this, you will not go away hungry. And I promise you that the things that God has to offer are a whole lot better than anything this world has to offer. As a matter of fact, after you've tasted what the world has to offer, you'll find out it doesn't satisfy. You'll find out it is not all it's cracked up to be. You'll find there's something more. You say, well, what is there more? Jesus. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.